From Variety, I'm Michael Schneider. Hugh Grant has become good friends over the years with John Cleese. But long before he ever met the British comedy icon, Grant was a fan from the very beginning of Cleese's legendary 1970s comedy, Faulty Towers. In those days, as a teenager in London, the big treat of the week was Monty Python. Uh, but I guess that was late 60s, early 70s, and then John Cleese did 40 Towers, and so that then became the thing you quoted all day long to everyone else. I had a girlfriend once who thought that 40 Towers was so good there was no point in watching anything else ever, just because it was so brilliantly funny and, um, and just sort of hits a particular sweet spot of Englishness, English torture, that's <laughs> never been hit quite so accurately before or since. On this edition of the podcast, we talked to Hugh Grant about his love of Faulty Towers, how he's still learning how to stream TV, how his Amazon limited series of Very English Scandal still feels resonant today, and why he'd like to ban all social media. It's my favorite episode. Welcome to Variety's My Favorite Episode. Let's give it up for your host, Michael Schneider. Thank you, DJ Omar Khan, for the theme song. It's My Favorite Episode. And this time out, we're talking to Hugh Grant. Grant's pick is Gourmet Night, the fifth episode from season one of Faulty Towers. Written by John Cleese and Connie Booth and directed by John Howard Davies, the episode first aired on October 17, 1975. In the episode, Basil Fawlty, played by Cleese, launches a fine dining night at the hotel. But when his new chef winds up drunk, Basil must go out and bring in food from elsewhere. But through a series of increasingly ridiculous circumstances, including a broken car, a kitchen mix-up, and various attempts to cover it all up, things go from bad to worse. Shh! You can't tell me what you're doing! We've got to change the menu! Why? Why? Listen, he's, he's out there, he's out, he's flat out, so on to his... Uh, what? Who is out? Kurt, who do you think, Henry Kissinger? <laughs> what do you mean, out? He's drunk. Drunk? Drunk, soused, potted, inebriated, got it? I don't believe it. Neither do I. Perhaps it's a dream. <laughs> no, it's not a dream, we're stuck with it, right. <laughs> Andre's doing the cooking, I'll collect it in the car. What's he cooking? We sat down recently with Grant as part of his Emmy campaign for A Very English Scandal, and I reminded him that we had done a panel for the show six months earlier. I did a panel with you back in October for Very English Scandal at the uh, Design Center. Yes, yes. Now I recognize you. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and here we are in April, and you're still talking about English I Scandal. Know. Why it's, is that? <laughs> it's an interesting long tail, right, for, for TV. This award season kind of never ends. I don't understand any of those things. I don't know what's happening. Literally, Emma tells me to turn up somewhere, and I, I, I'm a good boy, and I do it. <laughs> you're still, still promoting the wares. Well, I, I know yeah. you're very proud of this, and, and uh, it's, it's been so well-received that uh, 
Yes, I am proud of it. Yes, yes. And it's been the uh, the, the award circuit, uh, which you know is interesting because in the fall you had Golden Globes and and you had all the Guild Awards, and now we're talking about Emmys. So this is a cycle, and I'm not sure when when BAFTAs are sort of in the middle of all of that. But but so this is kind of a cycle that goes on for a long time, and, and for someone who uh, you know this is your return to TV after you know having not done it for so many years, what what are your impressions of this whole awards? Michigosh and and uh, the, the Michigosh, yeah, this this part of the whole process. Well, I wasn't. Re- I've not really ever been much involved with any kind of awards stuff uh, until a few years ago, and Florence Foster Jenkins started to get some, you know, attention. Yeah, and um, it's a difficult question to answer because on the one hand, you don't want to seem ungrateful. It's very very nice when people like the thing you've done and are being generous about it and all that and that's, there's definitely an element of satisfaction and uh, you know uh, ego pleasure but on the other hand uh, it's quite startling what an industry it's become yeah the <laughs> the, the industrial awards complex yeah. yeah I'm not sure it's the most edifying side of human nature <laughs> Uh, on the on the other hand, I suppose there's so much content out there now that this is one way to remind people that yes, projects exist. Yes, good point. I certainly wouldn't know what to watch unless you know people said, "Oh, well, it's one of those shortlisted for the X or Y awards." Then I'm then it stands a chance because I I find myself just at sea in a in a you know this blizzard of content out there. Yeah, yeah. My my kids have now explained to me how to work Netflix because I was still just someone who just turned on the TV and watched what was ever was on, was being broadcast at that moment. Yeah. Up until about six months ago I did that. Uh, but I, I still can't do it because I turn it on and Netflix or whatever it might be throws up a thousand suggestions. It's too much. I can't, <laughs> I can't choose. The tyranny of choice. Tyranny of choice, yeah. So I watch nothing. I, I, I just go back and watch the tennis. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was something that was pleasurable in just flipping around yes. and, and finding something. But also it was wonderfully passive. It was the vegetative state that I enjoyed in tele- television watching, yeah. being, just being completely passive and letting it come to you, someone else deciding the schedule of how you're going to be entertained when. And you could just about in England flick between four channels when I was a boy. And now it's, it's way too much hard work to think, oh, I, I better watch, <laughs> you know, this series you know and find it yeah put it on yeah that that being said is there anything you've watched recently that uh, you've enjoyed uh, among the new programs that are out there I think I've only watched one thing ever on streaming yeah and that was oh no I've watched two I watched The Crown yes genius yeah fantastic and and how they're sort of as as they go, they're they're bringing in new performers to play the queen, and so apparently they are. I, I haven't, has, has series two come out yet? So series two has been out, but um, now yes, series three is the yeah, new queen. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen that. No. Yeah, so that'll be the big oh, foot. Right, okay. So 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 you like the crown? I like the crown. I liked Killing Eve, and there I think that that, that ends my yeah 
Those are two great, fantastic, two fantastic choices, by the way. Killing Eve uh, is is amazing, and, and of course, uh, you know, created by Phoebe Waller Bridge and such a fantastic cast. Um, so, I asked you to pick your favorite episode of television of all time, and you picked a true classic. Well, I had to reach back into the nineteen seventies, um, but yes, I mean, I I had a girlfriend once who thought that Forty Towers was so good there was no point in watching anything else ever. Wow. And that's, I mean, that's only 12 episodes, so that's... Yes. Not, <laughs> that's, but she could quote them word for word. Yeah, I, I suppose you could just watch them over and over again. It's mm. funny, here in the States, uh, they were on PBS for years. PBS would just repeat them over and over again on, uh, locally. So, so Americans got a chance to see it over right. and over again as right. well. Uh, but it's a show that for, for such a limited, for only 12 episodes, had an enormous impact. Uh, well, it, it did on me, on, on yeah, men of well, men and women of my age. Yeah, how how just, so? What, well, what? just because it was so brilliantly funny and um, uh, and just sort of hits a particular sweet spot of Englishness, English torture <laughs> that's never been hit quite so accurately before or since. Yeah, yeah. Well, take take me back to when uh, to, to the seventies when it when it premiered and uh, how uh, yeah were, did you watch it when it premiered uh, was this uh, uh, I suppose I did I suppose I, I must have watched the first time it was ever broadcast and I yeah in those days as a teenager in London uh, the big treat of the week was Monty Python. Uh, but I guess that was late 60s, early 70s. And then John Cleese did 40 Towers. And so that then became the thing you quoted all day long to everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I, I was reading up on sort of the reaction at the time that first uh, the, the newspaper, the, the critics were, were sort of negative on it. They, they thought they? that John Cleese had gone too mainstream, that uh, oh, really? he had gone from, you know, Mo- uh, Monty Python to suddenly doing something that was a little more, you know, domestic. That's interesting. And it took a while, but then suddenly people came around and realized, yeah, oh, yeah. no, this is pretty, pretty subversive and, and pretty hysterical. <laughs> I can't remember. I do remember once watching the, the first ever episode, and it's interesting uh, that they hadn't quite landed on their characters yet, or how, or the tone. So yeah. maybe those critics were, had only watched that. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, it's funny. It's actually uh, in, in coming full circle that that's briefly uh, uh, mentioned on a very British, a very English scandal. It is. Is yes. uh, <laughs> the, the the first episode uh, apparently kind of matched up uh, to the timing of of your tale, obviously. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, I think uh, what was uh, the. Someone said that they were looking at old issues of Radio Times and sort of discovered like the serendipity that oh the action in Very English Scandal was right when uh, Faulty Towers premiered. So Correct. able yeah, to work yeah. that in your yeah. your script. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so eventually you got to know John Cleese very well. Well, I know him pretty well now. Yes, that's right. We got together um, doing this uh, campaigning about. Abuse of power in Britain, really, the fact that the country has been run for decades by a few uh, very rich newspaper owners, yeah. Right, which is sort of reminds me of uh, Fox News and what's going on here in the, yes. the U.S. right now, too. Right. Um, so so you two have gotten to know each other pretty well since then. Do you, how often, I mean, have you, do you discuss Faulty Towers? Did you fan out with him or, over the years, or, or is it something that comes up in passing, or...? I think it's tricky with uh, 
any actor or comedian, if you continually say, oh, do that thing from <laughs> something in your career 30 years or 40 years yeah. ago, it might not always go down that well. Right, right. And I know he's written in his books that, you know, one of the fastest ways to sort of turn him off is to start to... Is uh, that right? Yeah, ask yeah. him specific uh, questions about the show. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but this same girlfriend I mentioned earlier who was so obsessed d- did manage to get him to do that thing he does with his opening one eye, in the, which is the episode, I think it's the Germans, where he's in hospital with a <laughs> with a bandage around his head and he... It starts with him just opening one eye in a particularly manic way. And he, he used to do that. For he was him. able to do that. Yes, so. yes. That's, that's great. Um, well, let's, let's talk about the, uh, the specific episode that you chose. Uh, it's episode five, uh, Gourmet Night. Yes. So, so uh, what about that episode that sort of uh, uh, made you, of all the episodes you could have chosen? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I was asked <laughs> this question. Frankly, any of them would have done. Yeah. But that one... It seems iconic in some way. Such uh, famous bits, you know, him delving into the trifle at the end to try and find right. the duck. And uh, the whole thing with the Twitchin family. Yes. Uh, you know, I, because I remember, I was looking through my schedule last night, what I had to do today, and it said oh, I'm doing this podcast. And I thought, oh, Christ, I better watch that again. <laughs> so I found it on, on YouTube and watched it. And there I was extremely jet-lagged. Uh, after a very hard week of filming in New York, I thought, oh, I won't be able to stay awake through this. And I was crying with laughter. Uh, it's incredible how it can still do yeah. that to me. Yeah, so, Some of those lines, I mean, they're just, they're, I mean, you mentioned that it's sort of like the British show uh, yes. and, and some, of the, some of the dry lines. Oh, I mean, not yet, my little piranha. Right. <laughs> That's one of the famous, yeah, my little piranha fish. Uh, yes. Uh, I think my favorite is uh, his his uh, interaction, John Cleese's, uh, as Basil Fawlty's interaction with the, the little bratty kid uh, oh, at yeah. dinner at one point, <laughs> and the back and forth. And the, the line is, um, the, the mother says to him, well, you know, he's rather high strung. And, and Basil's <laughs> like, well, he should be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he should be. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. What else? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You're pretty uh, gentle. So yeah. you're gentle, like to just uh, make it back uh, over here? Uh, I'm, I'm in New York at the moment. Okay. Uh, making a, a television thing for HBO, filming this thing with Nicole Kidman. It's a thriller. And uh, it's hard work. Got a, a hard taskmaster, master, mistress, Danish film director. Do you know Susanna Beer? I know of Susanna Beer. Yeah, yeah, we're not yeah. allowed lunch or anything. We just, she keeps cracking the whip. Yeah. So it's shattering. <laughs> and then I flew in late last night. This is yeah. You're you're getting used to the TV uh, lifestyle now. Although again, the the lines are blurring now. What's television? What's film? Yes, it's, yes uh, as you say. <laughs> but um, so so, Faulty Towers you mentioned had an impact on you, uh, uh, sort of, and your humor. Um, uh, the the two the two cycles, the two series, I suppose. Um, is is there anything in particular that you kind of <sighs> took away from it, or? <laughs> That that um, perhaps informed your your career, your acting, no, I don't your, think your so. sense of humor. I, no, no, I don't believe so. No, just admiration yeah. and uh, fun. In fact, I mean the, the whole John Cleese persona. You have to be quite careful of it. it it's crept into it creeps into one's performances and other people's performances. British actors all the time, and you suddenly you suddenly realize, oh Christ, now I'm just doing John Cleese, and you have to <laughs> think again. Yeah, yeah, it's very infectious. 
Well, you know, what's interesting about uh, uh, also about Faulty Towers is that uh, so many people have tried to replicate it. As a matter of fact, in the U.S., I think there have been five different attempts to that right? adapt it. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, John Larroquette tried one, I think, most recently in the late 90s. Uh, B. Arthur tried to do one. Uh, some some very fantastic performers who mm. uh, you know they've adapted the format they 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 paid the fees they they did their versions but n- none of them worked none of them were able to replicate that show uh, you know there have been a lot of British remakes obviously in the U S over the years but for some reason no one could crack Faulty Towers and and is it perhaps because you just can't it's it's John Cleese yeah, I think some of it is just pure genius yes it's it's just his his gift. Uh, but maybe there is something quintessentially English about that character as well. Um, that sort of small-time snobbery. And, 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 and I think John himself has talked about the, the, the pain of being English. And uh, there's a lot of pain behind Faulty. Yeah. I don't know, all those... Uh, the, you know, if you look at that episode I was talking about, the Gourmet Night, it, the, the, the class... Uh, nuances are very subtle and very English. Yeah. You know, he's in awe of the colonel and his wife. Right. <laughs> and very un- unctuous towards them. And uh, and then there are other episodes, aren't there? There's the one where the, the Lord comes to stay at the uh, hotel, mm-hmm. who turns out to be a, a con man. And Faulty really can't bear it. Yeah. He, he was so in love with the Lord and oh, so classy, so wonderful. And, um, yeah, so a lot of that may be very English. Yeah, and I wonder, uh, it's interesting that we're talking about this and talking about uh, very English scandal at the same time, since they both kind of take place in the same 70s era, where, again, there was still, and, and I suppose it is to this day, but, but in the 70s, there's, there, there's that sort of issue of class, but, but society is starting to change, and there, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, as, as society is changing, uh, you know, people are sort of, uh, fighting uh, yes. the the old ways versus you know the, the no, new you make ways. a good point I think um, Faulty Towers couldn't have existed in the eighties nineties or the twenty first century uh, it is a creature of the nineteen seventies as is the Jeremy Thorpe story it's because it is the la- in both cases the last hurrah of sort of the British establishment. British Empire, really. Yeah, this was it. That that was the end. So, you know, sixties was killing it. Uh, well, the Second World War was killing it. Sixties uh, even further, and by the seventies, we were this washed-up hulk. And uh, the, the, you know that, that those little snobberies in uh, Forty Towers and the uh, and the trial of Jeremy Thorpe. Uh, are quintessentially 1970s British. The, the, the trial of Jeremy Thorpe, you know, is really almost the moment where the old world gives way to the new. It's Thorpe, a member of the establishment who'd been to Eton, our poshest school in Oxford, and um, had been protected in all his peccadilloes by, you know, his old school chums, home secretaries, brushing the file under the carpet and all that. Suddenly, it wasn't happening anymore, this huge trial under the scrutiny of the media. Suddenly, people weren't prepared to back the establishment man over the impoverished homosexual. They 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 backed the impoverished homosexual. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite a wet watershed moment. 
Yeah, and and you know even the the idea that this uh, you know establishment figure had to go to the lengths that he did to hide his true self, uh, and and that led to the comedic turn of events. I mean the the utter uh, you know debacle that that you know in in trying to you know order a hit on, yeah. on this kid, um, and and again going back to Faulty Towers at the same time, so much of the humor there. Uh, Involves like involves like you said uh, this this snobbery uh, and you know trying to hide something from a certain class of people that you know maybe today it just wouldn't even matter um, yeah yeah I think that's right yeah and everyone was genuinely more hidebound the sort of cliche image of the hidebound Englishman um, really doesn't apply anymore uh, it's hard to find them but it it was definitely the case still in the 70s they still existed I want to ask you something about English Scandal and, and how it relates to today because what was interesting and so so I did a panel with you in October um, for Amazon it was right during the, the whole uh, Supreme Court Brett Kavanaugh hearings and so you know and and so much of that debate related to class and power and you know this this you know this this kid who was born with a silver spoon accused of of you know doing some heinous things but yet was able to you know, still use his establishment uh, credentials to eventually become uh, justice on the Supreme Court so this still does happen today uh and what was interesting was as you and I were discussing this at one point we were heckled by someone in the audience, which is never... I've done a lot of these panels over the years. <laughs> I, I remember that. Never yeah. experienced yeah. anyone heckling before. Someone who wanted to say something about the Clintons. I don't even remember yes, specifically. Yes, yes. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it was funny that it, someone was so impassioned enough to, like, feel the need to say something. So, so uh, now fast forward to right now, and, you know, that that sort of seems like old news, but yet there's... You know, so much more going on right now with the, the, the Brexit divide in the U.K. and then here in the U.S. with, with everything going on with, with talk of impeachment, et cetera. Um, you know, looking back now at, at English scandal, what, what do you think? I mean, do you think, you know, there's still, uh, you know, a lot that we can relate to and, and sort of a, a lot that's in this show that informs humanity, politics, people, uh, society now? Uh, well, that was quite a long question. Yes, it, I it was. Um, <laughs> I was well, what I w- what I will say is that uh, in doing the campaigning I've done with people like John Cleese over the last seven years, eight years, uh, I've met an awful lot of uh, politicians in Britain up close, and it has been fascinating to see that whoever called politics show business for the ugly was right. <laughs> they, the politicians on the whole, with a few notable exceptions, are propelled entirely by narcissism. And uh, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, and they'll do anything to further their career. Um, they may possibly have had principles when they went into it, but by the time they've experienced a few years in Westminster or Washington... Uh, those are really forgotten, discarded. Yeah. There's a famous case of a man who was a very, very, I won't name him, prominent British politician um, uh, about five, ten years ago 
who was asked to make a core values speech, said, right, fine, yes, I'll do that. This was at his party conference. Walked out on the stage and had to come back into the wings and say to his aides, what are my core values? And uh, that's certainly what I've <laughs> noticed with, uh, um, with uh, politicians. Yeah, well, and, and especially these days, you feel like they, they revel in their ignorance, that there, there's, there, there's almost a pride to the fact that they know so little and don't... It doesn't seem to matter. Because no. you can make up facts now. You can make them up, and, or, or if someone contradicts you with the correct truth, objective truth, fake news. Right, right. And, and, and that's very frightening. Yeah, because that's a virus that's now infecting the globe. Uh, you know, so many leaders you hear are, are reciting that, using, you know, quoting Donald Trump yes. and, and sort of their own uh, ways. Yeah. It is terrifying. Tell me more about your because uh, because you know the the British the British press has always fa- fascinated me from afar because I've never quite understood how how it works and and uh, you know who the you know the, the the main leaders are other than you know the uh, you know, obviously we know well the the power of Rupert Murdoch and and what he's done over the years and and you know we're sort of living through the impact of you know his his reign at Fox News here in the United States now but uh, how. Your uh, the the campaign is hacked off, right? Is that what it's? Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yes. How how has that uh, evolved, and and what sort of impact have you had? And you know, it's 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 a fine line, right? Because there's there's a lot of fake news, and then there's also the people who are trying to combat that fake news, and the fake news folks are using the term fake news to combat the people who are trying to stop them from pr- uh, propagating fake news. Fake news is more an online or has online issue. That's how it's come up. Yeah, uh, our campaign was really it was about two things. It was about the extraordinary power of a few big newspaper groups owned by extremely rich men, many of whom were not even British, and almost all of whom have let's just say, highly complicated tax arrangements. So they're not really contributors to Britain. And yet they're running the country because their power to influence public opinion was so great that every politician in Britain, going back to Margaret Thatcher, has been terrified of them and has always done exactly their will. These are the people who run the country. It's Rupert Murdoch. It was Paul Dacre, who was the great editor of the Daily Mail, uh, and the owner of that paper, Lord Rothermere, uh, who were uh, Nazi sympathizers back in the 30s. Um, it's uh, a pair of twins called the Barclay Brothers who live in a, on a tax shelter island in the Channel Islands and own the Daily Telegraph. Uh, and a man called Desmond who owned the Daily Express, another multi-billionaire, very complicated tax arrangements. These people absolutely ran, uh, have been running the country for decades. And so Hacked Off was about is that a good <laughs> is that a good thing right. or possibly should that be challenged now and uh it was also and initially specifically about the power of those newspapers to behave in any way they wanted with regard to uh innocent people very often very vulnerable people so uh, the families of soldiers killed in Iraq or um of victims blown up in terrorist um, incidents uh, would then find that their phones had been hacked to get um, information that was purely for um, entertainment 
to sell more copies of newspapers, sell more advertising, and enrich these oligarchs. Yeah. <coughs> and um, we felt that that should not be able to happen, and that the regulator, the press in Britain has always had its own regulator saying, well, yeah, you, you can't intrude on grief, you, you've got to be accurate, you've got to do X, Y, and Z, and then happily ignored all their own rules because they run it themselves, that we said maybe that's not a good idea as, as well. Yeah. So it's been about standards and about ownership. Yeah. And how do you feel uh, since uh, starting this campaign? Uh, well, what, what kind of impact it all, have you had? The, the graph was very much upward. We, uh, in the wake of this terrible scandal where a young girl who was abducted and subsequently murdered had her phone hacked, which resulted in her phone messages being deleted because they filled up from all the hacking and then her parents had false hope that she was alive and that really scandalized the entire British public to the extent that when we campaigned for a public inquiry, a judge-led inquiry into uh, press standards, um, the public outcry was so great that even the government, who are totally in the hands of the big press barons, um, had to agree to it. And so this huge inquiry was set up in Britain, lasted a year, and the judge, Lord Leveson, came out with these recommendations for a new system of regulating the press or in fact not even regulating the press but regulating their own regulators because he was very very uh, meticulous about preserving freedom of the press and that there shouldn't be any direct government involvement in what the press can write quite correctly uh, so they were quite mild um, recommendations but even those uh, so those were then passed into law by parliament unanimously uh, after some struggle, big night of partying for Hacked Off. And uh, subsequently, a year or two later, the government found a little tiny bit of wriggle room to wriggle out of the whole thing. And um, that is what they did under enormous pressure from Murdoch, etc. Yeah. <coughs> so that's where so things stand now? That's where things stand until there's a new government. If we, if we you know, this year got a Labour government or a Labour and liberal green coalition uh <clears throat> we'd we'd have won these things will happen or that those laws would be fully enacted but the conservative party in britain in particular is completely uh the poodle of murdoch and the barclay brothers and so yeah yeah so there's all that going on at the same time that we have the issue of social media and you know yes. what's what's now happening right. with uh, uh uh you know obviously uh, you know, people using social media for nefarious ends, Russians hacking. I yes. mean, there, there's there's a lot going on right now in the media, and, and so yes. little of it feels yes, good. So right now, now, hacked off is under our new um, boss is also looking at that problem and, and sort of putting the whole thing, putting both problems into one uh, campaign, one pot. Uh, and it, it is particularly terrifying the triumph of technology over democracy. I saw a very interesting interview of some guys who'd come out of Silicon Valley, had enough. And they said, well, what, 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 you know, why, why are you so bothered? Why have you gone to live on an island? And they said, well, it's just too scary. It's too scary what's happened. They said, in, in the battle between technology and democracy, technology won years ago. Yeah. And, then you, and, and you realize Trump couldn't have happened without Facebook manipulation and Brexit couldn't have happened without it. Right. In France, les, les gilets jaunes and all, all this and what's happening in Italy, it's all uh, the ability now of uh, people with enough money and resources 
wherever that money may come from, Putin or whatever, to manipulate swing voters through very highly tailored Facebook ads. The genie's out of the bottle, and I don't know how you put it back in. I would, I personally would just pull the plug on social media. I, I, I look at the pluses and minuses, and to me, the minuses way outweigh the pluses. Yeah. We had perfectly decent lives before social media. At the very minimum, I would take away anonymity from social media posts. People say, oh, you can't do that because, you know, we need whistleblowers. But whistleblowers existed before social media. Write a letter. Ring someone up. Yeah. The ability of people to just spout <clears throat> uh, untruths and poison anonymously is unhe- as unhealthy as it's cowardly, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, again, I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's uh, you know, without just pulling the plug on, on all of it. But, again, these are... These are multi-billion-dollar companies. They're Google, Facebook. Uh, you know, they're yeah. they're uh, they're not going away, and they're they're not necessarily going to kill their uh, their business model. So it's uh, it's a conundrum. But uh, at least we have a lot of great television and movies that have come <laughs> out of technology to go back to the the the, mm. the plus. Um, but but uh, you know it it is uh, an interesting time from a creative perspective, uh, allowing people to do uh, you know their passion projects. Uh, have have you are you uh, you know beyond uh, the, the projects that you're working on right now? Uh, as as you're dabbling more in uh, you know TV and, and long form storytelling, are there, are there stories that you want to tell or, or want to be a part of that uh, you're either looking at or, or no, not particularly no 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 I, I've always been like that. I just um, wait and see what drops on my desk yeah and uh whether or not you like it yeah um speaking uh going back to faulty towers real quick uh because you know we were talking about how it was only 12 episodes one of the other things that i was interested in, in reading john cleese has said over the years is um you know they've been asked he was asked for years you know would you ever do a movie would you ever revisit it uh you know i think he's brought back basil faulty uh, a couple of places but uh, he said at some point, like, ah, I'm too old for that. I, you know, no, no one wants to see, uh, you know, what I would do with this now. And if anything, the reason why people revere Faulty Towers so much is because it was only 12 episodes. Yeah. What do you make of this reboot, remake, revisiting culture? Uh, and, and, because I'm sure p- people ask you all the time, well, what about uh, a, a sequel to something else? You know, they're doing a Four Weddings and a Funeral TV show. Uh, you know, they're they're... People can't help but revisit old old uh, stories and and old brands. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think if they're very specific one-off things, that you should leave them alone. But then you know there are others, King Kong or Tarzan or you know Aladdin. You can retell as often as you like. Yeah. But I think when something's been a very specific vision of one particular creative person, uh, it slightly rankles with me when they're. Uh, remade for you know, ask yourself is that being made for really creative purposes or just for money yeah or I guess sequels sequels aren't aren't quite as bad I mean people love Paddington too. that that well thank you for mentioning that I agree but that was made by this exactly the same filmmakers yeah with an equal if not more love yeah. than the first yeah it wasn't like oh well, let's just haul that TV show out of the 70s right. and redo it right well, I think you should remake Faulty Towers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh Grant, and I don't know who would uh, who would play your wife, but I think that would be amazing. <laughs> 
That sounds like a no. Yeah, well, that's definitely a no, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Leave well enough alone. Yeah. All right. Well, Hugh Grant, uh, congrats again on, on Very English Scandal. Uh, very deserving of uh, all the attention it's getting. Uh, it's, it's a fun. And, and uh, you and Ben, uh, of course, we've mentioned this before, uh, such such a great pairing and, and so many different things uh, in, in recent years, including Paddington. Um, but uh, congrats. Good luck with the HBO project. Looking forward to seeing that. And uh, thanks for, for dropping by. All right. Thank you very much. Absolutely. All right. That's it for this edition of My Favorite Episode. Join us again next time as we once again explore another guest pick. And be sure to subscribe to My Favorite Episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com for your daily fix of TV news, analysis, and reviews. I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you again next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.